The Secrets of Star Wars is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. Hello there. Obi-Wan Kenobi here, also known as James Arnold Taylor, the voice of Obi-Wan. Jedi Master Plo Koon. And many other characters in the world of Star Wars. You're listening to... Shh, don't tell. It's the secrets of Star Wars. May the Force be with you. You're listening to the secrets of Star Wars, episode 158. Hello there. It's a power that Jedi have that lets them control people and make things float. Impressive. Every word in that sense was wrong. Help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi. You're my only hope. This station is now the ultimate power in the universe. I find your lack of faith disturbing. It's against my programming to impersonate a dead. That's not how the Force works. Force is with me, and I am with the Force, and I fear nothing. Remember, the Force will be with you, always. Hey everyone, I'm Angela Cialana, and you're listening to The Secrets of Star Wars, where we talk about everything connected to that galaxy far, far away. From movies to books to TV shows and more, we're looking at the deeper themes and meanings found in Star Wars, and we will have fun doing it. Today we are diving into the season three finale of The Mandalorian, entitled Chapter 24, The Return. So returning with me today, we have um, not the armorer, but the artist, Catherine Laffrey. Hello, Catherine. Hello. Happy to be back at it. <laughs> yes. And we also have someone, I'm just going to start calling you the Dadalorian. So Patrick Mason, <laughs> the Dadalorian. I love Hello. it. Oh, <laughs> wonderful to be back. Thank you. <laughs> Dadalorian. I got to get a shirt now. <laughs> We'll start forging that for you. (laughs) Yeah, Catherine will forge it. So, um, well, I know we have so much to talk about with the finale, but to kind of tee us off here, transitioning into this episode, the last chapter that we had was called The Spies and our own panelist uh, here at Secrets of Star Wars, Josh Beagley. uh, His brother wanted to point out an important theory related to the name of that episode that we need to talk about because it's very related to our podcast. Um, essentially, this theory explains that the spies, which was the name of the, the episode, referred to the Mandalorians themselves, likening them to the spies in the biblical book of Numbers. And if you need a refresher on that, which I did, because I don't read numbers all the time. Um, oh, come Moses. on. You don't want to count the <laughs> tribes of Israel over and over and over again? <laughs> so Moses sent 12 chieftains from the 12 tribes of Israel to scout the land of Canaan as a prospective homeland for the Hebrew people. And in the episode, The Spies, 12 Mandalorians verbally volunteer for the recon party with Bo-Katan. Um, I went back and I verified this myself. So Din does include Grogu with him when he volunteers, um, which I guess that could be seen as they're the same tribe. But um, I thought that was interesting. I know that Josh, I think what he shared with us from his brother was that, you know, that must be very intentional because according to the Screen Actors Guild, right, if you have a certain type of line that you're delivering and you're on camera, then um, you get a certain payment for that. And that comes with certain benefits. So 
That wasn't just like they were on set one day and were like, hey, you let's just keep going. You say, I'll go, you know. So so um, seeing as how we have a lot of tie-ins with uh, biblical references, references of, you know, other traditions, religious traditions, in this show, I am keen to believe this theory. Um, but what about you guys? What do you think? Oh, after reading that theory, I was like, thank you, Josh's brother, because it made the last episode that much more enjoyable. And that episode, when I watched it over and over again, I'm like, now it all makes sense. I'm not so paranoid. It's like, I get it. (laughs) I kept wondering if the armor was a spy and that was ruining it for me. That would have been I never lost faith, you guys. (laughs) <laughs> good job Angela <laughs> um, I, yeah, you know I think you, for Patrick? me it's it's it plays so when we started this this season uh, it very much for me started on a um, I, I it, and for me I, I've been reading uh, we're either at you know the Babylonian exile so this is like where you know the temple's been destroyed and, and they've got nothing to go back to. And there, this is kind of that story moving ahead of, and, you know, we get the, the return is the last episode, which is just, you know, um, and I'll get into that, but, <laughs> but that's the kind of feel I've got is like, you know, either post, you know, Roman destruction of the temple or post Babylonian destruction of the temple, the temple has been destroyed. And now these people are adrift and they don't have, they can't follow the creed the way they would. And, um, this whole concept of the spies and I didn't see it until, um, Josh posted, <laughs> which was amazing. I was like, aha, you know, it was this, you know, cause that story is all about coming back into the homeland, right? It's, it's, and it's, you know, it's prior to them retaking, you know, after the, if you want to call it the Egyptian exile, but after, you know, the family goes to Egypt and then post, um, you know, all the fun stuff with Moses and and the Exodus and them coming finally back into the promised land. Um, and of course, you know, the first group of spies goes in and, and screws the whole thing up, except for Joshua and, and the other guy. I can't remember the other guy's name, but. And how um, fitting we learned this from Josh. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> um, and and in that next. place, right. And that plays forward again once you get to the book of Joshua, where Joshua then actually does, you know, there's the spies that go in and and go into Jericho and there's the story there and then they eventually cross the Jordan. But all this is kind of an anticipation of the coming back into, um, you know, our land, the holy land, the land given to us by God. And, you know, from the Mandalorian perspective, that's exactly what's going on, right? They've been exiled. You know, the Roman army or the Babylonians or the the great force came in and wiped them out and drove them from their homeland. And now they're trying to come back and reclaim it. And the whole speech by Bo-Katan, like this is time, it's very similar to um, the speech in Nehemiah and um, I can't remember the other one, but there's two books that go together, which is all about when um, Sirius, the Persian says, okay, you can go back to Jerusalem and you can reestablish the temple. It it all very Ezra, Ezra and Nehemiah, it all ties in very much to those books. And so this, like when he posted that, I was like, ah, <laughs> another, another wow. little piece of my little 
ongoing theory here. That's so and cool. And way to name drop Ezra. <laughs> <laughs> There's another biblical name right there. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> they're, they're everywhere. Yeah. That's why you have to listen to Secrets of Star Wars, guys. Okay. Yes. Well, before we move on, we want to take a brief moment and thank uh, our folks that make this podcast possible so that you can hear all these wonderful secrets, including uh, Josh, uh, excuse me, I have Joshua on the brain, Joseph G, Ezekiel, John B, Ramses, and Greg W. And you too can help StarQuest continue our mission by becoming a patron at sqpn.com slash give. So thank you guys so much for your support. Okay, so let's jump into the season finale, The Return. Um, overall first impressions, big takeaways. Um, Catherine, let's start with you. I have to say the one thing that has just hit me at my core the last couple of action episodes has been sound design. Mm. Huge kudos to the sound designers this year because, oh my gosh, they made some things just pop out like never before. The roar of the engines on the Mandalorian ships. I felt like I was, you know, watching the Blue Angels fly over again. And just all the little details in sound were just so perfect. The clank of when they're fighting, you know, it looks like plastic, but we got to remember that it's Beskar. So you get those cool <laughs> clank sounds. It's just, I was loving sound design. Fabulous mm. work. <laughs> It made it. I love that you mentioned that. Yeah. Um, for me, I would I would maybe kind of write on your uh, coattails there and shout out to Joseph Shirley, the composer of uh, the score. Obviously, we know that um, Ludwig Gorenson kind of created the initial themes and I think he did the first season. But it's been Joseph Shirley um, who's been with us for a while now, and he did Book of Boba Fett as well. Um, and I feel like his name, I don't hear his name enough, um, but what he did for this finale was really beautiful, especially those drums when we're at the living waters, you know, it was just so impactful and spiritual. Um, so uh, the music, this this particular episode just really stood out to me as um, very memorable. and. Um, for those of you who don't know, you can go listen to the soundtrack on YouTube, uh, Disney's Vivo channel. Um, so go listen to those songs because they were really, really wonderful. Patrick, what about you? Um, well, so and just from a sound perspective, because I hadn't really thought about it, but I actually watched this last episode, the first two thirds of it, maybe in silence. Um because uh, Wednesday night I played Outer Rims with some friends, came home late, and I, I turned it on because I was talking with a friend. And, <laughs> and I was like, well, I'm up anyways. I might as well put this on and watch. And so I had it on silent. And then when I rewatched it, it was so different. Like, it was just such a... a f and so, yeah, I get that. Like, the music and the and the sound effects just make things so different. But I didn't think about that till now. So, great point. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I, I find myself with this episode in kind of a, of two minds. Um, I feel very much about this episode kind of like I did about like episode one or maybe episode two, uh, you know, attack of the clones or, or Phantom Menace. I didn't necessarily like it like as a, as a piece on its own mm. beyond the action, like the things I absolutely love 
on their own in Attack of the Clones and Phantom Menace is the action parts. Like the pod, the pod race is amazing. The um, the fight at the end, the the war starting between the the robots and the aliens, or the droids and the aliens, or <clears throat> sorry, the droids and the clones. Golly, <laughs> I don't know what Pick I've got sci-fi. in my head, but it's okay. Yeah, You're yeah. recalibrating your brain for Star Wars. Yep. Yes, I understand. <laughs> yeah, no, I. Uh, Funny anecdote, I walked into the droid building shop in Walt Disney World one time, and I was like, I'm here to build a robot. And the guy just looked at me like, a droid? And I'm like, oh, God, got me. Got me. <laughs> yes, a droid. <laughs> um, so I-, I loved it. I loved all the action. Um, but from a character set point, I'm not entirely with it. Like what Mando, specifically, Din Djarin and Grogu, like they're what they did this season and in mm. this episode, but like taking this episode as a, as a full blown, as part of a larger picture, I absolutely loved it. And that's the sort of, that's the piece of me that loves episode one, two and three, like as a, and then as part of the full saga and trilogy, I absolutely love them because of the, what they do over the whole course of it. And this is an ending set piece. I thought was really good, but I do understand a lot of the, there's a lot of folks out there, I think, who have a lot of negative viewpoints about that episode. And I I, I sort of understand where they're coming from. It was well, funny because the first time I watched it, I was so worried about who was going to be the other spy that <laughs> I missed stuff. And thank you again, Josh's brother. After reading that and watching it, it was like everything clicked, except there was one moment in the very beginning that I was like, wait a minute. And I needed it. It felt like it was a deleted scene. I needed to see Bo-Katan panic that Grogu was not with her (laughs) because then Din, once he's rescued by him, says, I have the kid. And she's like, okay. So it's like at some point in time, we needed a brief little separation moment of where is he or at least have seen him go off running and someone double take Mm. it because I was surprised when he showed up where he did. Mm Mm-hmm. True, true. I mean, she she kind of had a lot on her plate, so, you know, I get that, but... <laughs> but but yeah. she's been in the mother role this whole time, so I'm like, where's your baby woman? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know, um, Patrick, I hear what you're saying about, you know, the, the character development and, and in particular with this episode. I feel like as we discuss, we will get into that deeper and um, I... I always come away from these podcast recordings with so much more appreciation for each episode. So um, let's just go ahead and pick up where we left off on Mandalore, uh, escaping from Moff Gideon's base. And that did include a fight between Din and a couple of troopers with Grogu saving him. Um, That, you know, speaking of awesome action, like that was a great fight sequence. Right? Oh, Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, <laughs> all of that. I, I was wondered yeah. was was Din purposely dragging his feet to wear those guys out just a little more? <laughs> just like wait for them to seem a little stressed and then just go at them. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. Like as bad as he is sometimes with like strategy, especially long range and and stuff. Like in close quarters, you just you're not going to beat him. <laughs> like he's just phenomenal. <laughs> Him and it was it was very interesting because you know you sort of move the bar with the the stormtroopers they're not just wearing the normal plasteel armor it's now Beskar armor so it's got a whole new so and it's interesting because if you watch him 
he's shooting their feet right right around where the armor is and then he's pointing the gun right up in the little in the little crease he's like and he's got it all it's kind of like maybe he's fought mandalorians before (laughs) (laughs) oh and using the other guy's flamethrower against his you know partner it was like yes (laughs) stop drop and roll moments there (laughs) but But it's funny you watch like the stormtrooper that gets hit with the flamethrower like freaks out and screams and Din, when he gets hit with the flamethrower, it's like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> I'm going to keep fighting, you know? Yeah, he's probably encountered that in his training for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and, of course, we get the no, no, no from Grogu. <laughs> and he saves the day. Um, and that great kung fu grip he did bending that guy's <laughs> hand back. That's awesome. <laughs> yes. So Grogu's already, you know, he's very observant. I know he's been picking up on all of the training and the fighting and whatnot. Um, One thing that I did notice uh, is that Din actually thanked Grogu. I thought that was a great parenting leap from where he started (laughs) with Grogu at the very beginning of this whole series. Um, And to me, that was just just that one little moment was like, wow, look at how far he's come, you know? Oh, yeah. You could see it in Grogu's head nods throughout this whole episode. Every time there's just a little more something to it, it's like, yeah, I got you. <laughs> right, their connection. Yeah. It's it's sort of like he's moving from less, like you're like a baby, which is just a distraction <laughs> like in a fight or something to and completely dependent right right it, like it can't help itself i've got to do everything for it and, and instead what i've got now is i have somebody who can help me um and so you have that interplay you have both the thank you for your help and then i need you to be brave or i need you to be I, does it say brave or strong but either way he's like i need you to be brave yeah yeah because yeah. you know i'm going to need your help again like we're now in this yeah, so they can finally defeat their enemy. Um, but unbeknownst to them, Moff Gideon is tracking them. Um, and one cool little secret here that I noticed is that the trooper who speaks with Gideon um, in this little moment, we, we see the, the red and the green dot on the, on the map, um, was uh, voiced by Matthew Wood. And um, if you're not familiar with who Ma- Matthew Wood is, um, he's most famous for voicing the battle droids um and also he played bib fortuna in the post credit season of last season's or post credit scene of last season's finale um but he's best known for being the supervising sound editor at skywalker sound so speaking of all the great sound in the episode um that was matthew wood playing this trooper who's speaking with gideon um he's not credited for most of the voice work that he adds to all these shows but it's it's always fun when you catch his voice. So um, then we get our hero droid moment, R5. He has his his spotlight to shine despite being, for some reason, like he flies down like he, with, I don't know what kind of jet propulsion thing he has going on, but he flies down and then he looks over the edge of the canyon like he's scared. <laughs> Like I'm a like, little kid. Like, you literally <laughs> just came from the sky. <laughs> Why are you scared? I don't know. But um, this was really cool. So R5 was working with Din to get into each, past each of these ray shields. Um, 
I don't know if you guys were reminded of the prequels, but I was with all those different ray shields and Darth Maul. And yeah, it was a cool moment. Yeah, there were so many great overlap memories with it. I mean, you feel like R5 was living out everything he had heard on droid tales about (laughs) R2-D2. And it's like, he's my hero. I want to be like (laughs) R2-D2. Yeah. What was that? There was a there was one of those little shorts that has like BB-8 and some of the other droids like they're all hanging out with each other and then R2-D2 comes past and they all like stop and just like look at him and like ah! and R2-D2 rolls past and then Celebrity. like he's gone and they all look at each other you know and making the binary noises. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. So I kind of feel like um, somebody should make a t-shirt that says R5 next shield because I just kept hearing that over and over again. It was so cool. Like just to see Din totally knock out all these, these different, differently abled and differently, you know, um, different weapons um, with all these clone troopers or troopers. Um, and it's so, such yeah. a video game. Oh my gosh. It was. It's like, it was. you know, overcome, loot, advance. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, that's exactly what it was. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, and that was fun watching all the different fighting techniques being used with the different um, weaponry. And uh, I kind of like how Din didn't like. It was like immediately once he could move on the next one, it was like let's go. Like there was no stopping yeah. or pausing or anything like that. He's uh, building that last one. Oh, yep. love the little like cloud of smoke developing. The anxiety they brought it out in the music. Those troopers are like, oh my gosh, what's gonna happen? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it was this feeling of dread because you just hear like this terrible fight going on on the other side and you don't know what's going to happen. And then he just comes in sliding. (laughs) So cool. (laughs) So as we get further into uh, the lair of Gideon, we learn that he's been working to perfect these clones of himself. Um, And last podcast, there was a lot of discussion about Gideon and the seven deadly sins. Um, And so now we're seeing that he's trying to clone himself. I would say that sort of fills in the gaps uh, of his character that we've met at the very beginning, season one, you know, of, of The Mandalorian. And um, so what did you what did you all think about the the clones? And are you sad that we didn't, you know, get like any of the clones surviving? Apparently they're all gone now but um it was just really really interesting um little piece of of Gideon's character I, it was I gotta admit it kind of came out of left field for me um I mean it made sense like once he sort of explained it later when we got the exposition speech um but like I was like whoa <laughs> like, like I was when they first walked in there with all the tanks and everything I was kind of half, half expecting sort of a uh like a throwback to the Obi-Wan um, and all the people we saw in the tanks inside the Imperial Fortress there. Right. And when it turned out to be Gideon and like he opened his eyes, I was, I was generally freaked out. I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> like, I, the jump scare worked on me <laughs> just like it did on Grogu. <laughs> but it I actually I, played in for me uh, something from one of Timothy Zahn's books of the Hand of Thrawn. Because they had Thrawn actually had his secret cloning tank, not with lots of them, but one. So that in case anything happened to him, he would be back in 10 years time. 
And so he had his own secret clone just in case. So I was like, oh, it made me think about that. But oh man, the jump scare. The only thing I wondered was, did the clone sense Grogu or did Grogu sense the clone and wake each, or wake right. him up? I don't know. That was just like, ooh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was, that was really, I thought about that too. It was like, is the force, the force is obviously involved with a clone, right? Because a clone is a living being. Um, but even non-living beings apparently like interact with the force as well, according to Star Wars philosophy. So yeah, that was interesting. Um, and, you know, when we think about clones in Star Wars, we typically think about personhood. I know the Bad Batch has been exploring that a lot. Um, so I was thinking, well, if Gideon had had his clone survive, would he like have programmed the clone's brain to like continue his plan, his epic plan of of like galactic domination or something? Because I mean, it, it would have been another person. So the clone could have theoretically chosen like, you know what? I don't want to do this. Like I want to go have a farm somewhere or something. <laughs> Farmer Moff Gideon. <laughs> Pretty good. Yeah, I, I, I'm i confused as to what Din Djarin did at that console to make the glass explode on those tanks, because that's typically not how labs work. Like, <laughs> like, like, you might have a kill switch that, like, cuts the power, but normally you don't have, like, explosive charges on your experiments just ready to go, so... I, I, and part of me and part of me is like, did he mean to do what he did? Did he, what was he doing? Like, and that's, I don't know, part of my thought process on that. But yeah, I, I gotta wonder cause you, cause we know most of the, the clone troopers were kind of like semi-programmed to follow orders, but not all of them, you know, kind of work that way. And I, I wonder like how, you know, how much of a narcissist is Gideon exactly? Like, how much is he going to program these guys to be exactly like him or not? I mean, and then, you know, and this is like the more worrying thing in my mind. I'm like, does he have eight or ten of these clones just so he can make sure he gets one good one and he'll kill the rest? Or, or right. like, what's the, yeah, what's his his end game with these? Is this going to be his new dark trooper force? Or is it sort of like I'm getting, I'm making a replacement? A lot of weird questions there. Um, and I. Well, didn't he have all much, those yeah. spoiled samples on Navarro? Mm. You know, they're like, oh, this failed, that failed, none of them survived. And now he's got these 10. Maybe he is going to just, all right, which one's going to fall in line? Although he says mm. he wants a whole army of them. Right. But I suppose an ego that big, he thinks he can, you know, make them be what he wants unless he's, you know, sticks a chip in their brain and controls them or something or, mm -hmm. I don't know. Yeah, it's like the, the first thing bot. we we get of Gideon is him, you know, killing his sub-officer and several stormtroopers in a bar for, like, no reason. <laughs> like, he, he didn't have to make his entrance that way. He just did. <laughs> and so... <laughs> I don't know. How much does this guy value even the people who work for him? <laughs> like, yeah. And I'm Why does he have to be <laughs> such a Darth Vader wannabe, too? I'm sorry. Well, it's like, 
his voice, his little lights on his chest. He's got to be like, oh, I can Darth Vader better than Darth Vader. Exactly. <laughs> like, it, it just seems like he's, you add every element of every body, like in Star Wars, you know, and, it, you know, he's got the Mandalorian, he's got the, he's got the Jedi, you know, he's got, or the Sith, you know, whatever side yeah. you want to yeah. see. He, he just wanted every piece you know to make this like ultimate like megatron like megazord of himself yes <laughs> you know um, your powers combined i am captain dark side <laughs> exactly and he has a cape come on <laughs> but like the interesting real world implication here um is you know we're we can treat a human being like a machine and try to upgrade them um Gideon was trying to do that with his clones so if you've been keeping up with the news you'll know that there are two Nobel winning scientists who have spearheaded this gene editing medical therapy called CRISPR um and there's all kinds of bioethical implications. But one thing that I just find really interesting for the sake of this discussion is that, you know, people kind of throw around the phrase um, playing God, right? Or don't play God. Um, and what's interesting from a Catholic ethical perspective, you know, I was kind of looking up CRISPR and what are the Catholic bioethical, you know, um, thought on, on all that. And it's interesting because it's like actually not necessarily bad to quote unquote play God because we have changed a lot in medicine about how our bodies naturally work, right? To enhance our quality of life um, and bring about healing, you know, from terrible diseases like chemotherapy, right? Um, but the question is like, how do you go about playing God, right? How do you do it? And why are you trying to do it? Um, and Gideon, interestingly, is trying to play God in like this very direct way by trying to control and manipulate the force. And so he was trying to look on that, you know, um, I don't want to use the word, but some people get like a twitch when I, when they hear the word, but you know, that DNA part of you that says, Hey, you have that thing that can allow you to manipulate the force well. So, um, I don't know. Does that really kind of like, what do you think about that? Like this character that is trying to play God in this way and, um, like what sort of, I mean, is he is he really gone? Do you think he's really gone? Or do you think since Please we didn't see a dead body? <laughs> no, 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 of course not. We, we didn't see all the clones die. We didn't even see him die. <laughs> like, uh, there are probably multiples of him now. Guaranteed. <laughs> uh, can't he be purged in fire? <laughs> Please. No. I mean, he yeah. was wearing that armor, although he didn't have his helmet on right or did he right. when no. he was engulfed in flames <laughs> thought it was off then but i don't know yeah but i always thought they said you know even in the mandalorian suits i mean it can get too hot <laughs> you get cooked inside so a little pressure cooker gideon stew i don't know 
<laughs> but yeah, I don't Worst I don't want him ever. to come back. We got to have at some point in time dead is dead. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I you yeah. know, it's interesting cuz it for me watching the because one of the, one of the hallmarks of being human is manipulating our environment and um you know, we've been doing quote-unquote genetic manipulation since you know, the 13 or 1400s with like interbreeding animals and plants once we got really good at animal and plant husbandry. And um, I, for me, a lot of times it comes down to not so much the how um, or sometimes even the what, but it's the why. Like, why are you doing this? And that for me, uh, a lot of times is the pinpoint of whether it's an ethical or a moral issue. Um, because I think because we're humans and we love to tinker with stuff and we're pretty good at it, I think we're eventually going to figure out most of the hows and the whats, but then we got to get a clamp down on the why. And I think you have a relatively un unmoored moral being, which is Moff Gideon, who is effectively just all about power, right? And control, you know, <clears throat> Vader wannabe. And, and then... <laughs> You give him this power to uh, manipulate, you know, genetics and I'll say the word midichlorians. <laughs> <laughs> However, that was involved in this, even though the, the word was never said. Um, the high M count. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I gave myself the power of, you know, the force. Well, we all know what he meant by that. <laughs> and so the question is, well, what is he doing with it? You know, why? What's his why? And. I can't come up with a good why. And so for me, it's just like the ethics just become an easy, like, no, this was not a good, a good thing he was doing. Um, but then at the same time, you're still left with a moral dilemma. Like you've got these clones now. I mean, was, was killing them off was, was that the right thing to do? And I'm not terribly, I'm not convinced of that, but then you've got the other, well, what do I do with them? <laughs> like if it's going to be just another Moff Gideon, <laughs> but one with the force is that really a good thing to re unleash on the universe so yeah uh, i'm glad i don't have to make those decisions <laughs> <laughs> it just felt like just some guy like in the in the early like new republic like being like oh my gosh that guy moff gideon like seriously just like with his head in his hands like i can't with this man <laughs> <laughs> seriously i'm sorry Catherine, seriously <laughs> Yeah, he takes evil dictator to a new level. You feel like every evil dictator thinks, well, that guy didn't get it right because he didn't have this, this, or this. So, you know, if I have all of it, I will be the ultimate evil dictator. So, yeah, that's what I kind of felt from him. That's why I'm happy if he's gone, gone. <laughs> and yeah. then it's funny because then as I thought about it, it's like, okay, he's Darth Vader wannabe. Then you get... Darth Vader's grandson, who obviously didn't listen to his mother to say how Darth Vader turned to good at the end. Oh, but his uncle could have told him, too. And he's all obsessed with, oh, Darth Vader, I'll do it right. It's like, why does every person think if I was only in charge, I'll do better than the last evil dictator? There's right. a reason why they're called evil dictators. <laughs> But that's, a, I mean, that's dictator. a great point. Like just the whole human um, desire to, you know, forge our own destiny, not listen to people who are warning us about <laughs> the future and just thinking that we can change 
And we can. I mean, we can change certain things, but we also need to be humble, right, at the same time to have that humility. So, um, yes, apparently this is a recurring theme in Star Wars. Just where was Gideon's (laughs) family? Who are these people? (laughs) Where are they? (laughs) Where is his mother? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. His mom to put him in his place. (laughs) (laughs) Give him some cereal. Yeah, I was, I was like, I went straight to Andor. I was like thinking about what's his name's mom, and I'm like, oh my gosh. Uh, okay. your blue that'll, that'll be our next scene. We're gonna see him partially <laughs> scorched, going back to his mom's mom. house, get a slap across the face. Eat your cereal. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> Okay, well, anyway. <laughs> okay, let's rein this back in. Okay. okay. So we get um, the armorer, the voice of the armorer, um, getting us out of this situation. She's like, here, your, your reinforcements have arrived. She and Bo-Katan lead this charge to engage in a jetpack battle with Gideon's troopers. Oh my gosh, this was one of the coolest battle scenes ever in Star Wars. That's my opinion. What do you guys think? Wow. Oh my gosh, wow. It was like, okay, first of all, if you didn't cry when Bo-Katan pulled at the Darksaber, watch it again. (laughs) You will cry. (laughs) I did It was just amazing. And then they had the music with it too. It's like, yes, triumph is coming. You know, like, you know. The angels awesome. sweeping through Egypt, you know, it's like, oh, knock down the firstborn, let's go. So it just felt like, yeah, he had like them coming down from on high. You got the little demon troopers coming up from below and and then a big swarm of bees going at it. It was awesome. Yeah, I'd like to see somebody put that to the flight of the Valkyries. I think that'd be pretty. Right. That'd be pretty yeah. good. <laughs> yeah, this. I I loved every like so in some of my other uh, nerd fandoms that I'm involved in like uh, the concept of assault troopers with like jetpacks has always been a thing and it's always been a question in my mind like what would that look like like a melee assault trooper on assault trooper in the air like how crazy would that be and I've never really gotten a good one in science fiction media on like showing that sort of a battle. And like, this was just everything I could have ever wanted. Like, like <laughs> it was just, it was done so well, with, you know, fo- you know, the visuals going into like Bogotan and the armor and the armor coming down and beating folks up and, and, you know, using the various Mandalorian weapons and ways to kind of deal with the stormtroopers and then panning back out and showing the whole battle and all the craziness and, and people getting shot and going down. And at the same time, you're thinking like you're getting shot. And it, that doesn't necessarily hurt you or kill you because, you know, you've got the Beskar armor, but when you're moving at a high velocity, you know, in a 3D vector space and you get hit, like it, it does things to you. And like the whole, all the physics involved in that was just so much fun to watch <laughs> as a, as oh, a space yeah. nerd. It was, yeah, it was just amazing. It was, yeah. yeah. I could just like World War II dog that. fights. Oh, mm-hmm. Yes. And then the one camera shot where you're like flying along with and just seeing all this stuff coming out. It was yes. just like, and oh, you're amazing. Like, like, yeah, that was, oh, yeah. that was so cool. <laughs> and Bo-Katan's power move, oh my gosh, over the ledge, 
spin back around, shoot the knee, you know, missiles. Yeah, knee rockets, yes. Oh my gosh, great, yeah. great move. Yeah, that was so cool. It, like, it's funny because it reminds me of, like, my favorite space battles in Star Wars. Like, the the um, the um Battle of Endor, um, where there's, like, there's just all this craziness going on with all the ships and in between the big capital ships and the, the laser fire. And, the, and then you'll zoom down and you'll follow one ship shooting some people. And then you'll zoom back out. And, you, and it's like they, like, we'll study our own source material <laughs> and figure out how to do this right. You know, with with human beings, but like flying human beings, I, I don't know. It's just mm. I, uh, so good, so good. <laughs> so good. Yes. Well, I look forward to lots of fan art of that scene. Um, and then we come to the climactic fight between Din and Gideon and Grogu and the Praetorian Guard, which was like, whoa, oh my gosh. Um, there were a lot of themes that you could see playing out in this battle, like father saving or trying to save his son um his son Grogu like having confidence in his own abilities like I was watching back and I noticed like Grogu at first he was in IG-12 but he gets kind of cut out of IG-12 and he's just on his own and he just has to rely on himself um and his training um, and you also see Bo-Katan fighting for her people and Gideon fighting for himself the loss of the dark saber. There's a lot going on there. So, I mean, do you guys have um, any themes that you saw, or just want to say anything about this battle in particular? I mean, every parent's nightmare is knowing your kid is in trouble and you can't get to them. Every time Din got knocked down or pulled back, I was just like, "Ah, oh, that's so scary." I mean, you know, I had. One moment with my kids at a wave pool where it's like the waves turned on, we were too far out, and I'm trying to get to one of them while carry another. And you just like that moment of panic of like, I have to make this happen. <laughs> I was knocking people down just to get to my kids. <laughs> but yeah, that was just, that was well done. And just the whole build up to that point was great. And then you get Grogu's little no, no. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it was is very much like an impossible odd situation um, because, you know, and Gideon mentions it. We don't really see it into in effect until this where he's it's dark trooper armor, right? It's not just stormtrooper armor. So he is it's powered armor like he's got mechanically powered punches, kicks, like everything he's throwing out is like 10 times stronger than it should be. So it's a lot more like fighting like Grievous than it is like a like mm. a person. Um, and so. You know, Bo-Katan, uh, Din Djarin, Grogu, they're all just in a suit. And yeah, Grogu's got an IG droid. But um, then when you bring in the other guard, the Praetorian guards, like the the, the scale he's up against is, is impossible odds. Like, I'm not, I can't win this. I can't get back to my kid. Um, and, and Grogu goes back. And it, it's interesting watching him because once he gets cut out of IG-12, he starts, you know, using his force powers to jump up and run along. And he goes from kind of like being afraid to he's laughing and <laughs> giggling at the Praetorians as they're trying giggle. to get him. Yeah. That's so cute. You know, um, until they eventually cut, you know, they get it and they cut in front of him and, and he gets dropped down. And you you get a very much uh, just-in-time feeling, you know, because there's the, the deus ex machina. You get, you know, Bo-Katan. Shows up just in time to hit hit Gideon, so Din Djarin can scramble. 
to try and save his kid, um, who's, you know, needs that help just in time. So, you know, that's, that's what TVs and movies do. They, <laughs> they set up the just in time <laughs> moments. Um, but then the fight, the fight with Din and, and Gideon is, you know, it's kind of a rehash of the fight they had at the end of season two, uh, where, you know, Din ends up getting the, the dark saber, but you kind of get the feeling that, that maybe, uh, Gideon threw that fight. And this time he's not like, he's just, I am the unstoppable force. But then when Bo-Katan steps into the ring, like the, the fight takes on a completely different angle because for Din, it was, I got to get back to my kid. Now with Bo-Katan, it's, this is a fight that's been raging in my head for 30 years now. Like when I gave up the dark saber to you and before, and you betrayed me and, and purged my people and destroyed my planet. Um, you know, you came into my city and you burned my temple down <laughs> and I've got to, I've got to make things right. And so there is, I think with Bo-Katan's character arc over the course of the series, she's probably not just fighting for her own honor at this point, which I think is what, where she would have been if she had done this at the end of like last season, it would have been for her. Now she's fighting for Mandalore and you know, it's, it's a battle that means more. And yet Gideon still presents this unstoppable force because even with the dark saber, it's still unusable against Beskar armor. And so it's the sort of, it, it becomes the fighting against impossible odds because it's the right thing to do is the theme that sort of takes over. Um, <clears throat> and then with the, the Grogu Din Djarin Praetorian fight, that very much is the, like, I've taken my son hunting with me, you know, and, you know, for the last several years and all of a sudden he's able to, sh to shoot with me, you know, mm -hmm. maybe this is more involved hunting where they have like knives and they're going after bears or something, but <laughs> it's, <laughs> it, it's, it's a choreography. It's, there's a dance to it, right? It's a choreography mm -hmm. between, uh, Din and Groku about disarming the Praetorian guards and being able to, to go after them because, what we saw uh, for Paz Vizla is that if Din had been alone, he would have gone down. And what we saw from Grogu was he was about to go down, but together they could do it. Um, right. And even it's just like a full blown Mandalorian and what we, you know, later he's an apprentice. Right. Um, and that sort of, that ties back into the whole theme of which Bo-Katan tells um, Gideon, you know, right towards the end of the fight. Mandalorians are stronger together. Like we're bad on our own. Like, and, and, you know, we got our toys and all, but eventually they fail and we end up in the Zarlacc pit, but together <laughs> we can do it. Oh, sorry. Sound that was design. a long, that was a long thing. No, that was good. Sound talking. design played a big part in that fight too. Mm. Cause without the sound design, you wouldn't know how super powered that suit was for Gideon. Right. You know, to have him, he grabbed, um, Din's hand in the same way that he later on grabbed Bo-Katan's hand. But with Bo, it's like he crushed her hand to crush the Darksaber. And that's just like, okay, her hand is broken. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then so you just, you feel that and just the sound that was there. The other thing was, is someone asked like, why didn't we see anything with Grogu's armor that he was given? How did that play into this? It was in sound design, watching it again. I really jacked it up this time because I wanted to really hear the sounds. Um, 
that I finally heard where that armor came into play. And it was when they finally cut Grogu down from running around on the lights. Mm. He falls down and that last piece of metal actually clanks off of his chest. Mm. So it's like it wasn't the two pieces hitting together. It was clanking off of his chest. It's like, okay, his armor did save him right there. And that was really cool. And then that fight sequence reminded me of in the prequels when Anakin goes running in and Obi-Wan's like, we have to do this together. Mm -hmm. And it's like, if if they would have done it together, it would have probably looked like this. (laughs) And if they would have waited for Yoda, nothing else would have happened. No No Darth Vader. No, yeah, that would have been great. (laughs) He might have left the order, got married, who knows? Well, I wanted to bring in this quote from Rick Kamiyiwa, who was uh, the director of this episode and many other episodes. He's actually become a producer on the show. Um, And I thought it was really, really tying into a lot of that we're talking about. He said, the show is about identity, both what we're born with and how we choose to identify ourselves. And I noticed in that, that, you know, we're talking about Gideon kind of trying to take these different parts from different peoples and different cultures. And also, you know, um, the, yes, the the breastplate or whatever you want to call it of, of Grogu. So he is both Mandalorian and also a Jedi, you know, and, um, you know, just these were stronger together is like also that aspect of of identity of you have your personal identity and then you also have a collective identity right of a people um so I really saw that once I you know I read this quote and I thought it was um when you look back on the season it's been very like religious in nature you know we've got a lot more about um the religion or the the traditions uh the creed of the mandalorian people um and that's also you know an aspect of identity as well um and how all of the mandalorians sort of relate um to that so i just was was wondering if that strikes any it pulls any thoughts from you, um, just the concept of identity in, in the Mandalorian. Yeah, I think, you know, it's interesting to me. Um, I think it, you see that evolve through the show, um, and in all the characters, but I think in this season you get very little of that from Din but you see a lot of the evolution of like who I am in um, everybody else around him. Um, So you see Grogu kind of, you know, at the, you know, season two and a half, (laughs) he chooses to go the Mandalorian route, but he's sort of starting to own what that means. And um, he's sort of, you know, with what he does uh, throughout, especially towards the end of or the second half of this season, kind of the combination of what, you know, Jedi and Mandalorian means to him. Um, the armor, well, let's, 
Bo-Katan grows. You know, she goes from effectively being, you know, more or less a selfish princess <laughs> to, you know, I have to be for my people. Like, I, I, I have to be more than just me. You know, I have to, like, assume the royal we and really mean it. And, and, and you know, take back my planet. I have to reestablish this. I have to... And on top of that, she has these religious experiences, you know, seeing the uh, the myth of war, the conversations with the armorer, like walking the way as short of a time span as it was. She did it, you know, walking the creed in the way. And then you even see the armorer kind of evolve from being just this character who is always in the back room, like always in the in the forge, making the stuff and sort of just the, you know, the wise person of the group, the wise, the old wise woman or whatever moving out of that kind of trope space into like, she's also a fighter. She's also out in the field. She can lead people. And then she brings this whole new kind of vision to, you know, reunification effectively where she tells Bo-Katan, take your helmet off. Like, and she, and she explains to the other ones, she's going to do both. She can walk both ways. Um, and that to me was huge. Like that was, whoa, like, like, Cause she's been always the, the one who, you know, spoke and enforced the creed. Like we have the whole, the whole thing for Din Djarin to to go back to Mandalore to bathe in the waters comes from her and her immovability about, no, you're not a Mandalore anymore. And then, you know, five episodes later, she's telling Bo-Katan to take her (laughs) helmet off. (laughs) Like, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so I, and, and, and sort of in my mind, some of the lack of growth on Din's part, or maybe it's just my perceived, is one of the reasons I wasn't as big of a fan of this season and this episode in particular. But everybody else seems to to change um, who they view themselves at and and what that means for them and their society as a on a larger scale. I kind of wonder, <clears throat> since you two are parents and I'm not, um, if. It's like looking at Din's identity, the way that I kind of see his arc for this particular season is in his relation to Grogu. And obviously we see that at the very end where he's like, okay, so I am his dad. Like, I'm going to be his dad. I'm going to adopt him. Um, and so we finally kind of put a bow on that, you know, sense of of his identity. But I just wonder if um, Grogu's development sort of over the season in terms of going from you know like we were talking about more of a baby um more dependent to full-blown you know warrior basically with the force and I don't know if you noticed but at the end the that end scene where they're in like in the New Republic pilot place that Grogu actually like says a few words like they're not just babbles and coos um, so he's really developing. So I was just wondering, like, as a parent, does that affect your sense of your identity to see your child developing as a person as well? Oh, big time. It's so amazing watching my daughters become women now and the things that they're accomplishing. And it it really, it means something. I mean, total flashback, though, listening to Grogu's babble and actually starting to understand it. I had to shut off the subtitles because I was like, <laughs> the subtitle just says babble. But my mother ears were going, I swear in the bar, he said, hey, dad, 
IG-11. <laughs> yeah. And there was a couple other times where he said, the way, and <laughs> yes. And, you know, he was like, okay, this is, this is little toddler speak that if you listen to it enough, you know exactly what they're saying. And there's full sentences in that babble. But, yeah, there is something about, as a parent, how you grow and change watching your kids go on and and learn and grow. And like I said earlier, every head nod of Grogu's has been a little different and more expressive all through this this one episode, particularly where like after the big fight that they had with the Praetorian Guard, it was like there was like the, the head nod of like, I've got this, you know, I'm a man now, the big, yes, yeah. I got you. Head, you know, the so nod. and then the head nod was just, <laughs> and then when Din says he's my apprentice, you get the first Grogu. What you know? And it was like super expressive with his eyes. <laughs> then he says he wants to adopt him, and it was like even bigger doe eyes. What like this is happening to me? You know, it was just it was fabulous. Um, there was something. Oh, okay. And then you talked about him not being so helpless anymore. And when we first see him walking into the bar, the first thing that went to my through my mind, and again as a parent, watching kids outgrow clothes, I'm sorry, but please, <laughs> who's ever working on next season, Grogu needs his big boy pants. <laughs> he cannot run around in a little toddler onesie anymore. The boy needs big boy pants. <laughs> <laughs> Daddy, wow! Yeah, I'm a big kid now. <laughs> I don't have we have we ever seen anybody from that race not in like some sort of robe or or like I don't think we've ever seen pants on any question on anybody in that race. I guess because they're puppets, right? <laughs> I guess yeah, really. <laughs> yeah, I mean at least we see Yoda's feet a little more, or uh, what was her name? Yaddle. Uh, Yaddle. She definitely is a little more developed in her stance and posture. But yeah, I'm sorry. Grogu's little outfit, he's going to trip and fall on his face and he doesn't need to right now. Let his little feet show something. <laughs> Give him a little more of a belt. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I did yeah. see one picture somewhere where they showed this is what he looks like with no clothes on. He's like a little stick with his giant head. It's like, okay, beef him up a little too. <laughs> yeah, he's going to go training with dad on his yeah. journeys. Yep. Yes, well, yes. Eat more let's, blue shrimp. Let's move on to um, another hero that we haven't talked about yet too much, um, Axe Woves. So Axe Woves ends up not being a spy. <laughs> he ends up um, actually being a true hero um, and almost going down with the ship. I really thought he was going to die. I, I thought he was going to just go down with the ship. Um, but obviously oh, the whole time I was out. like, don't let him die. Don't let him die. <laughs> <laughs> um, any, any thoughts about Axe Woves and how he has evolved over this series or maybe um, what your, how your opinion of him has evolved over the series and where do you think, I mean, do you think we'll see more of him going into the next season? I hope we see more of him. His character developed rapidly in those last few episodes. And I think that his little 
fight with Paz was, you know, part of that. Him seeing the other side as not primitive anymore, but, you know, a comrade. And then, I, you know, poor guy did not see what happened. But it was so rewarding to see at the lighting of the forge that he had, um, what's his name? Ragnar. The son. Ragnar standing right next to him. It was like, oh, that's just the classic taking on the son of the fallen comrade. That was just beautiful. So, yeah, it was was fabulous. And then just the whole I'm coming in hot thing. The size and scope of that ship, marvelous. That was just fabulous. Yeah, it's it's been interesting watching him. I mean, it's sort of like he's got, he went from I stole all your people <laughs> and I'm a mercenary <laughs> to and I'm in charge and right? I'm in charge, right? To being okay, I'm second in command, and maybe I'm there because of the dark saber. And then they get into the um, you know, and the combining the forces, and you can see he's not really on board with it. And then there's the fight, and it gets broken up by Grogu, which was hilarious, but. Um, everything starts to change once they get into the, into the fight, right? Like once they're Mm -hmm. in the battle, it's sort of like, okay, we're all Mandalorians and we're all locking arms here. Like once they realize this is an Imperial trap, there's Imperials in our city, um, and, or in our, well, city slash on our planet. And, you know, they're trying to effectively wipe us out and steal our stuff or steal our culture here. It, mm-hmm. it suddenly he gets this turnaround like I'm all in like we're this is our planet and um we need to take it back which I think I think that speaks a lot to sort of the history of Mandalore in general it, it, when they have a common foe they tend to do well you know Mandalorians are better together right um but mm-hmm. when they don't have a common foe they'll fracture and factionize and start fighting each other and have problems and then, and so um, it's kind of, he's the personification of that through the course of these episodes. Like when he's, he's all on board and now, so they have a, this, you know, common you know, thing and I'll, I'll have a lot more to say when we get to the, the lighting ceremony, but mm, <laughs> it's this common yeah. thing now, you know, and the empire is still out there and they have now a mission to bring everybody back in, but it's going to be interesting to me to see how this pans out long term because you know, do they always have a common enemy that they can all rally behind, or is it going to factionalize again because they don't? Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, that it was a, it was an interesting character. I love the fact that he shot the glass and flew out of the, <laughs> the ship because I was like, "There's no reason this guy has to go down with the ship." <laughs> I mean, it seems like he's going to, but I mean, come on, you got you could fly out the back, you could do something, and then he does it, and I'm like, "Oh, thank goodness!" <laughs> You've just made. Every nerd happy. <laughs> you need that. another Captain America. <laughs> exactly. Right. <laughs> well, um, at the beginning of the series, we discussed the meaning of Gideon's name, uh, another biblical name, um, which is Great Warrior. Um, and he was in scripture. He was one of the great judges of the of Israel. Um. I was curious going back to the story of getting in the Bible. Were there any stories regarding fire? Because obviously that's how this Gideon goes out. <laughs> and um, I found that um, it's very poetic, actually. 
And I'm feeling that maybe Dave Filoni, if you're listening to this, <laughs> good mm-hmm. job. I think you did that well. So in the Bible, Gideon presents this offering to God and asks for a sign. And the sign that he receives is an angel comes and lights the offering on fire and that consumes the sacrifice and then everything disappears. And Gideon freaks out because he's like, oh my gosh, I just saw an angel of the Lord. I'm going to die. And God tells him, no, you're not going to die. Calm down. Um, And he ends up living a long and happy life. So it's kind of poetic, I think, that Moff Gideon actually does die uh, because of fire, but also it's a fire that sort of is like his his creation that is not an offering to anyone except the God of himself, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and um, and just again, how we've talked about, you know, him wanting to be this controlling figure and um, almost seeing seeming to think that nothing can bring him down, you know, but ultimately it is himself. So I thought that was really poetic. Yes. Wow. Very good. Yeah. I I love how there's so many layers. (laughs) If I remember right, and I could be terribly wrong, but I think the way Gideon uh, defeats the Midianites in the Bible is through this trick with fire. Um, Because he goes, yeah, he goes Mm -hmm. out with his whole army and God like weans him out to like 400 guys or, or, I can't remember the exact 200, 600, but like this tiny number. And then it's mm-hmm. like, okay, you're going to get on the ring around the encampment and then light the torches and make a whole lot of noise and right. that'll drive your enemies away. So and it had, did. It scared their enemies away. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's another one. That's great. So lots of tie-ins. Um, and, you know, with that fire, we see Grogu saving Bo-Katan and Din with the Force. and what a beautiful moment that music was so fantastic at that moment um it's very powerful i wanted to bring up a rick famuyiwa quote again um he calls grogu baby g which i think is really <laughs> baby g nice. um, that's not the quote but um <laughs> so he um on starwars.com they interviewed him and and he said uh, there's an innocence about grogu but there's also sort of this transformative power that he has. The lives around him change probably more than he does himself. And I think there's something about him that makes us want to both take care of him, but also examine who we are. Um, so, you know, we've talked a lot about Grogu already, but I think, you know, it's it's interesting. He says um, Rick Famuyiwa says that there's this trans- transformative power that Grogu has. And um, I would say Grogu is kind of like a mystical um, figure, almost a mystical character in this show because, um, you know, part and parcel of the fact that he cannot speak basic um, to where we could understand him uh kind of adds to that mystery of him and not knowing much about his species but also just really the way that he's able to communicate is partially with the force you know and 
Um, and just how he's taken on this peacemaking, bridge building kind of role. Um, so was there anything else that you wanted to say about um, Grogu saving Din and, and Bo and just that whole aspect of who Grogu is? Well, that one scene was rather iconographic. <laughs> when you look at it, you, you, you're looking into a cave and here you have this child that saves them and Bo and um, Din are both kneeling to him, by him, with him. And the other thing I loved was Bo's blue shield over them you know, a little bit of Mary's yeah, she's wearing I mean, blue. There was very much like a holy family image there. I've always, and then you get Din adopting him at the end. So you can't get away from thinking of St. Joseph. And it's just, mm. that whole thing was just like, okay, you're tying this in as this little holy family. And, but this past weekend at the Scholar Conference I was at, they talked about how are we going to save our culture? And it basically comes down to us individually being who we're called to be in God allows ripple effects to go out from us that affect and change people around us. And that, I think, is exactly what Grogu's been doing. I mean, with his simple no, 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 or yes, yes, and, you know, spraying daddy in the face until he says, I feel better. (laughs) So there is that ripple effect of our actions, our love, our care for people that just goes out to the next person. And that's Grogu Jeff definitely is, you know, watching a little saint in the making sometimes. I mean, he has his bad habits, but what saint? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think for me, a lot of it goes back to the time span of his life. Um, you know, he is... 50, 60 years old at this point. You think about your average 50 or 60 year old human being, they're typically some amount of source of wisdom, right? They're, they're someone we look to that has knowledge about how the world works or about things actually work. And you think about like Yoda, eight to nine. Oh, you made years. me feeling 55 feel really good. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the wise one yeah. on the panel. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, you think about like Yoda was this just wisdom force, right? He was just this. And he he ran the whole gamut from like crazy fool on uh, Dagobah with with Luke to, you know, this the really wise advice giver to uh, Anakin, you know, when Anakin was seeking help for his troubles. Too bad he didn't follow Yoda's advice. But, um, you got to think a guy who's lived 800 years is, has got to have seen it all at that point mm-hmm. and seen it from every possible angle. And so you, you're thinking like, okay, with Grogu, we're watching, you know, somebody who's already been alive for 50 years and, you know, who knows cognitive capabilities and how that works. But it seems like he's, he, he fairly understands his surroundings. He's just not able to communicate them real well. And mm-hmm. so he's been watching the interplay of people and how things work for for a while now um and so it's it like you kind of get tricked into thinking he's a child because of how small he is but the reality is he's 
he probably does have a lot of that packed into him already and and will like as time goes on i know i i was saying it's sort of like um you know tolkien with the elves you get like the stories of the elves when they're young right and then you know by the time the hobbits show up and 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 we're into our third age they're all just very wise but like very weary <laughs> just because they've seen it all <laughs> right that's true um and you know what's beautiful um i mentioned that um the music that we we get this transition of drums that take us to the living waters after that beautiful um iconographic scene as you said so well um catherine and Poor little Ragnar finally gets a proper initiation. <laughs> um, you know, it's it's kind of it's this, this is also poetic because initially on the other planet, I don't know if we got a name for it, but the other planet where the Mandalorians were hanging out before. Planet of monsters. Um, yeah. yeah. Monster planet. Crack it out. <laughs> yeah. Crack well, a <laughs> Precisely, you know, it was like, it was not their home. It was not the living waters. It was these different strange alien waters with an alien monster creature, like, that ruined everything. And now he's finally, like, on Mandalore. He's home. He's in the true living waters. And there is another creature living in those waters, but it's it's a friend, right? It's the mythosaur. Um, so I just thought that was really nice. I felt really good for Ragnar <laughs> in this moment. <laughs> After it made, it made to me be think eaten. about respect for the sacraments. Yeah. You know how there's, there's that form that the sacraments right. They needed here. to do it again because they had to get yeah. it right. But did they do it again or just finish? Or just, yeah. They, yeah, they, so it was kind of it it. neat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right, and you I have really this like whole that. like interplay between like there's there's a way we do things because we have to, and then there's a way that we do them because it's the way to, it's the right it's the way right. This is the way. <laughs> yeah, this is the way. Most and, obvious answer, Patrick. <laughs> right, and so they're finally back on their in the place where they can do the creed the way it was supposed to be done, and so you get that get that scene with Ragnar, which is you know fantastic. Uh, watching the, him get, you know, baptized and not try to get eaten by something <laughs> and, and having all the factions there in Bogotan um, and then seeing the, the, the stuff play out with Grogu. Yeah, well, let's talk about that. I mean, they said, the, um, I think Din said that he wanted to add him to the song, add Grogu to the song. So I'm really, I want to know more about like, what is this song? Because it's been, you know, and that's something that um, is kind of like Tolkien-esque um, that I think maybe Mike had brought up uh, on the last episode. Um, this whole concept of the song of the Mandalore, um, of the Mandalorians. But, um, you know, this, this whole, he's too young to take the creed. But, well, what if his parent were to give permission? So, yeah, I mean, for us as Catholics, being the ones known to baptize kids because the parents give permission, um, that was definitely a Catholic moment, I thought. Oh, yeah. (laughs) 
and Din has already proven he will raise him in the way. <laughs> oh, yeah. And then his name, Din Grogu. Um, so I know some people were confused by that. And I think most of us weren't expecting it to be Din Grogu. Um, maybe, right, Grogu Jaren, right? So um, what are your takes on why he's called Din Grogu? As soon as I heard it, it sounded right. It's like when I heard Din Grogu, it was like, yeah, that's right. It just, it made sense. I mean, just from the the sound of the name, I'm going to have my own crazy mother thought on this, but if you can't yell your kid's name to get their attention, you didn't name them right. You know, when you get all three names or four names, if you really get crazy, <laughs> you know. The other way around, that would have been harder to, you know, yell, don't eat that frog, you know. <laughs> so, but no, it just, it sounded right. And then um, growing up, we had a lot of people from India that were in our neighborhood. Um, we were in the Detroit area at the time. So we had a lot of mix between different India, Japan, coming into work in automotive. And one of my friends would, told me about how uh, when a woman gets married, she takes her husband's first name as her last name. And so it's like, okay, you know, you can kind of see that kind of connection in that. So it's it's neat. You now, just the way names work is fascinating. Yeah, it, it, it didn't strike me as off. It just, I, you know, I think part of it, you know, if you think about the two, either way you go, the writers were probably like, yeah, let's just stick with Din. <laughs> Din Grogu, because that sounds better. And, and, you know, from that making a way things are done. So, and that's exactly where my mind went. It's like, so Bo-Katan, like Bo is the family name and Katan is the, the personal name. If, if this well, is Kree, how we're. Kree's, I think Kree's oh, would sorry. be her sorry. family name. Yeah. I yeah. think Bo-Katan is Bo like hyphenated. Kree's. So. Oh yeah. Yeah. You're right. Bo-Katan Kree. So Yeah. So I'm I'm just very curious how that works. If it works all the same with all the clans, or if that's something particular to the children of the Watch, or um, it but could yeah. be particular to the planet Din is actually from. That might have been from his original culture. Yeah, because yeah, he didn't throw be. out the baby with the foundling. I don't know. <laughs> or maybe if you're a foundling that's adopted, you get your dad's first name or. I don't know. I mean, we 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 keep hearing Din being called Din, but maybe Din is his family name and not his personal given name. So, yeah, it's just it's really fascinating. But you're right, Catherine, that all these different cultures have different ways of using names and presenting themselves. And um, so it'll be interesting to kind of learn more about what the canon establishes um, going going forward. Okay, um, Patrick, your time to shine here. We're talking about the relighting of the forge of Mandalore. <laughs> so give us all of the thoughts. All of the it's thoughts. It's like a huge, it's, it's kind of like a huge baptismal candle, isn't it? We're in the Easter season right now. So I'm thinking like that very tall candle that precariously, you know, is there all year long. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. It's the one you're kind of sticking up. It's like... And they're trying to light the bab the little baptismal candles from it, and one guy's trying to hold it so <laughs> it's not catching anything else on fire. Yeah. Um. So, you know, when the season started, 
I was just kind of hit with the um the sort of the returning to Mandalore aspect. It, and and really when it started the conversation between the Mandalore and the armor struck me very much as a conversation that you would have expected between, you know, um a a Jewish man and a rabbi right after the destruction of the temple or, or sometime later and them talking about, well, what do we do now? Like we, we still have these things we have to do, like according to the law in order to be justified or redeemed or to be sanctified or to, to be clean, I've got to do these things and I can't do them now. So what do we do? And, um, so the whole thought process being, you know, we're, we're, we're in a different space now and we can't live the creed. And then how did different groups, how did different clans deal with that? And you see how, you know, we've gotten to see how the children of the watch dealt with that fact. They couldn't go home. Right. And through the course of this season, it's been very much, you know, we didn't goes back right. Or didn't Jaren goes back right in episode two. And so you already have like the establishment. Okay. We can go back. And then what does that look like when we're retaking it? And then by the time we get to the end, everything is taken on this very different shape where you're, you're looking at the destruction of Mandalore through the eyes of Bo-Katan. And you're talking about, it wasn't just the destruction of our, they keep saying the word civilization, but you realize there's a whole religious aspect underneath all of this. And it's not just the destruction of the civilization itself. It was the destruction of a civilization that had a religion built on a particular place. And so the, the obvious corollary becomes the, the Babylonian exile for the Jews, the destruction of Jerusalem, you know, the carting away of all of the important folk <laughs> to Babylon, you know, the, the scattering, the purge of the, the Mandalores, and then um, the eventual kind of wiping out of Jerusalem and leaving it to the dust. And um, that's kind of the feel you get. And then at the, the very end of the penultimate episode, you realize, no, this isn't the return from the Babylonian exile because the empire has set up shop and has put in the um, destroying abomination in the temple, right? They've gone into the temple and they've turned part of it into their thing. This is the book of the Maccabees. They're coming back in to reclaim the temple <laughs> and to sanctify it. And like that hit me and I was like, oh my gosh. <laughs> Like Filoni was really doing a number on this because um, thinking back to the Mandalore himself, he his journey through all of this very much to me strikes me as a, as like one of the judges or maybe even one of the, the Maccabees brothers. Like who's just he's going along, he's living his life, he's trying to be, uh, you know, a good uh, Jew and then all of a sudden he gets called into this bigger world. And that is very much uh, season three is Dinajarn moving from this. I've been going around trying to, you know, finish this one quest into now I'm part of this huge, big overarching thing where we're retaking Mandalore. And I'm in, I'm involved with moving all of these parts and pieces and yeah, I'm in it, but I'm like, and I play my part. I make sure the dart saber gets to the right person and I do my things and I fight the good fights and, um, you know, I think that's a lot of drawback to St. Joseph too, <laughs> you know, I do the things I'm supposed right. to do. Um, and then you get to the end and, and it's been retaken. The abomination has been cast out. Like it's been literally burned out with fire. And now we're relighting 
the temple candles and you have the establishment of effectively Hanukkah. Like this is the thing we're going to do to remember the fact that we retook our planet. We retook our, our city and we reestablished the temple and we cast out the abomination. And, um, so yeah, like, <laughs> like and they, they did purify that thing, man, drop a ship on it and burn it clean. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> There's no better way to purify something than jet fuel. <laughs> it's interesting. As you were talking, I was reminded of, um, at the conference, we had Aiden Hart there, who's a um, incredible iconographer. He does carving. He actually builds. He's Orthodox. He's done silver work to do like the big chandeliers that they have um, hanging centrally within the churches. And he says at different points in time. And forgive me, Aiden, if I get this wrong, but you talked about how um, the chandelier has the lights on the outside, and that will spin and swing and then there's a central light on the inside and it's a reflection of the cosmos to show that we are part of this whole big creation that God created and the church is a little mini reflection of that and then looking at the Mandalorian forge is kind of set up that way it's like this mini reflection of the cosmos and showing the Mandalorians how they fit in this space literally space outer space <laughs> <laughs> That's so cool. Um, yeah, so we have we have the new temple. Um, we have Din negotiating this new contract for himself with the New Republic. Lots of news here. Um, and we have the new Marshal of Navarro, IG-11. <laughs> um, and of course, the new cabin of Din and Grogu. Or... Din Grogu and Din Jorin. I guess I should say the Dins. <laughs> the Din twins. The Din. Yeah. Um, so so do you have any thoughts about what we will see next season in the stories? Um, because Din Jorin um is going to be taking Grogu all over, apparently. Um, that's kind of part of bringing up a, a Mandalorian apprentice. Um, and I'm wondering um, how the uh, the old Imperial remnants are going to maybe, you know, are we going to have Thrawn involved with this? Um, or maybe just some aspect of, you know, related to him being out there somewhere doing things? I don't know. What do you what do you guys think? Do you have any thoughts about what we're going to see next season? Oh, that'll be interesting to see. I mean, as peaceful as it was having them, you know, sitting on the porch and Grogu playing with the frog pond, there's always that, you know, Western trope of like, you know, the, the gunslinger can never truly settle down. And so there's always that little bit of, oh, it's not going to stay this peaceful, is it? But we know he's going out on adventures. He has to train his son. I'm waiting for the day when Grogu gets to fly. <laughs> Put him in charge of the, the ship just pack. to have. Oh, <laughs> oh, well, not the jetpack, but in the ship first. Pilot the the jetpack, wow. I don't know. I'm afraid you turn the jetpack on, he's just going to go twirling off. Of <laughs> Doesn't have enough weight to control You're it. You need some fins for him or something. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, it'll be interesting to see what they run into. Could it be more pirates? Don't know. Maybe some scoundrels out there, you know. There's all kinds of characters they could pull in that would be really fun to see. 
It'd be cool. Little Thrawn in there is always good. <laughs> so as you know, as long as I get more Carl Weathers, I'll be happy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I've, I've really enjoyed watching his character change over time. It's been a lot of fun. But um, yeah, I don't. I honestly don't have any expectations. I, 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 I'm trying to leave them kind of at the door because I don't. I don't know. You know, they, they. That's and then they left it sort of wide open for themselves. They could have, you know, them be more involved with the, you know, the coming or the overarching meta plot, which seems to be appearing slowly over time with the Mandalorians and Thrawn and Ahsoka and all that. Or he might just have them go do stuff that doesn't interact. And I, I think I'd be okay either way. I think I'd honestly be more okay with the go do stuff that doesn't interact. A little more because I think we're going to get a lot of content in the other direction <laughs> uh, coming up, right. and so keeping the Mandalorian sort of its own thing, even if it is a little yeah. episodic sometimes, I, I'm perfectly okay with that. Well, any other final thoughts that you had in your notes or things that we missed um, that you wanted to mention before we announce what is next for the podcast? Um, the gardens. Oh yeah. That, oh yeah, yeah. yes, the gardens. Yes, Dude, the we gardens totally skipped over wonderful. that scene. <laughs> oh, and my favorite line in there was that they talked about they farmed it. So again, going to you know when uh the Jews were ushered off to Babylon and places and they took all the rich impressive folks and who'd they leave behind? The little nobodies to tend and farm. That beautiful remnant of farmers taking care of the garden. So that I thought was just a beautiful touch in there. And the, the fact that they made it a point that it wasn't like this just appeared here. No, mm. it had to be tended. It had to be farmed. It brings you back to the Garden of Eden. We are responsible and need to tend for the garden. Yeah. I Yeah. yeah. And I think I, in my mind, I connected um, back to the Maccabees as well. Kind of when they go, when they're first start the revolution and they kind of go off and they're hiding in caves in the farmland, right. In the Judean farmland. And they're, and that to me just struck like, that's exactly what these guys have effectively been doing. And that's kind of it's sort of a very quick head nod <laughs> to that and bringing that back in. But yeah, that's, yeah, I like that. So maybe to know what's coming in season four, we all just need to read the Bible. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, it oh, really, yeah. really feels that way. I like the more I think about it, I'm like, man, these writers. <laughs> hey, it's the best story ever told. Might as well get on. <laughs> but there was one other thing, mm -hmm. and I hope it's not a visual clue. But if you look carefully at where um, Axe is aiming the ship to go down crashing, that crater has a very definite shape. And it looks like a little bunny rabbit. I'm like, oh my gosh, is Axe going down the rabbit hole? <laughs> <laughs> so don't let the storyline go down the rabbit hole. Leave Gideon dead. <laughs> Let's move on. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, um, if any of you out there have anything else in the rabbit hole that we missed um, and you would like to share your feedback with us, please do. You can email us at SQ, uh, Star Wars at sqpn.com. That's Star Wars at sqpn.com. Or find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Media. You can leave a comment there. 
or tweet us if uh, you are brave enough to uh, brave Twitter <laughs> still um, <laughs> the uncharted waters of Twitter. Um, you can tweet us at SQPN. Also be sure to, to share the podcast, please. Um, let people know that they can subscribe to Secrets of Star Wars in their favorite podcast app, as well as um, SQPN's YouTube channel. And you can find previous episodes at sqpn.com slash Star Wars. Um, all right. So attention, all Clone Force 99 fans. We are diving back into the Bad Batch where we left off. Starting next week, we will be discussing a monster episode. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge of <laughs> the Bad Batch entitled uh, uh, Metamorphosis. And that's number 211. If you want to go back and rewatch if you have already or if you want to catch up with us. Um, so until next time that we see you, uh, Catherine Laffrey, thank you for joining in the secrets of Star Wars. Thank you. And Patrick, Patrick Mason, thank you also for being with us. Uh, you're welcome. It's always a joy. And once again, I am the one in the middle of the Bendu, Angela Ciolana. Thank you for listening to the secrets of Star Wars on StarQuest. Here's another show on the StarQuest Network you're sure to enjoy. The Secrets of Technology. Find it wherever fine podcasts are found or at sqpn.com slash technology.